0: and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to yet another episode. Episode three of calendar year 2024, Good Grief appreciate everybody joining us on the show today and joining me on the show today is Aiden Bradley. Aiden Bradley is one of our executive consultants and works uh, most closely with a lot of our growth strategy clients. You heard him a couple of weeks ago uh, with Dr. Michael Carpenter on the show. And this time Aiden will take a little more of a featured role in today's discussion. We're going to talk growth strategy. We're going to talk about how he makes an impact with the clients he works with couple of pearls of wisdom and food for thought for 2024 gonna be a good episode get your pad and pen ready you know it's time to take some notes and brew another wonderful cup of that meal of coffee the group practice accelerator podcast is on the air Welcome, everybody, once again to the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. I am your host, Perrin Desports. Thanks for a couple of minutes of your time and joining me today and joining us today. As I prefaced in the introduction, I'm joined by Aiden Bradley. You heard him a couple of weeks ago on an episode with Dr. Michael Carpenter on personal journeys. Aiden and I are going to dig into growth strategy, how we work with clients in the field and the impact that he makes uh, with the clients he works with. Aiden, thanks a little, for a little bit of your time, taking time away from some of your client work. Appreciate you joining me on the show today, my man.
1: Thanks, Perrin. It is uh, great to be with you and uh, excited about our conversation today.
0: I am as well. I am as well. I think uh, this is going to be Um, a a very impactful year. You know, usually we kick off a, a new year and it's all about, hey, how did the prior year finish up in terms of valuation multiples and the world of mergers and acquisitions and all that kind of transactional stuff. But I think we're sort of, uh, transitioning into more of a, a segment of the marketplace that is is of a build and operate type of a mindset versus build and exit. Certainly nothing wrong with build and exit. Exit's part of our business too. But I think there are more and more people who are interested in building group practices um, that don't have an imminent exit in mind. And, and are really more uh, of an entrepreneur at heart for cash flow purposes. And those are your target clients that you work with uh, most consistently and some of the ones that I've worked with in the past, too. So when we think about our strategic consulting offering, you know, inevitably, I take calls from interested uh, uh, prospects in the world, just as you do. And, and inevitably, they say, well, what is strategic consulting? And, you know, I it's a, <laughs> it's a good question, as much as I hate to admit it. Um, but do you want to maybe just take a little, take it from the top a little bit, Aiden, conceptually, when we talk about strategic consulting, how we approach um, what we do, what you do with clients, and then we'll work into some of the meat of the matter. But maybe let's just talk concepts right here
1: yeah, absolutely, parent. You know, firstly, at, at Polaris, we are a white glove consulting group. And we are not cookie cutters. So some of the questions that we ask are different for different clients, obviously. So we tailor to the desires of the client because each one has different outcomes, and each one has uh, are at a different stage of their of their growth uh, in their group practice. So, we generally start with a little bit of fact finding, some questions uh, from them on what they're looking to achieve, and then as we go into this conversation, we'll talk about some of the specifics of how we tailor uh, a, a strategic vision for them and what they're trying to accomplish, and look for areas of uh, optimization that they have, and then ultimately work backwards from what their end goal is.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I think white glove is a great way to put it, and. It is um, I think there are a lot of people that come into our orbit and they have worked with um, maybe a dental practice management consultant in the past or or they have they, they engage with some type of consulting company in the past. And usually um, they engage with that consulting company uh, because of their experience and their um Systems and processes, and it's and and the client adapted to what the consultant's uh, box was, you know, and that's what they paid the consultant for. That's what brought them to them, and they wanted to solve that problem. You know, maybe it's scheduling, maybe it's marketing, maybe it's case presentation, or you know, something like that. Um, Certainly, nothing wrong with that. It's different, I think, when you get in the world of group practices because a, a traditional solo dental practice or healthcare practice, you know, if that's all, if it's just going to be one location, it's, it has a, a finite operating system. You know, I mean, you got to do the basics to be successful at it and be able to, to make money, uh, doing it. When you start moving into multi-locations, it, it is more there's more of an onus on the founder or the leadership team into what that business is going to become how you create a value proposition to the the patients that you serve and what the ultimate horizon is for that business and that's a significantly different type of a, an approach versus just a traditional solo practice and so i think when they come to us and they work with a consultant in the past on their on their practice Oftentimes, they're expecting us to have a formulaic approach, a cookie cutter approach, a cookbook, or a you know, follow, connect the dots, follow the yellow brick road, and magically it produces all the the outcomes that you want. That's not the case. We we tend to operate based on we give guidance based on what the desires of the client are and where they where they're not sure or where their vision um, isn't really clarified. We try to impress upon them um, the the landmines they may hit on along the way, but also how to help them kind of shape that vision where we may see holes in it that are blind spots to them. Can, can you maybe just, you know, let me shut up for a second here for one. Um, and can you maybe just take our audience through that piece of like the vision thing? Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, some people have concrete, ironclad, defined visions that are hard and fast and others, frankly, need a little bit of help shaping that. And I think that's where you play a tremendous role, obviously, at the at the onset of the relationship.
1: Yes. And, and you did a great job teeing that up, Perrin. What you know, generally where we start in our conversations is where they think they are right now in their uh, stage of of growth or even if they're stagnant and where they want to go. And when we engage what we often do is begin with really a couple of simple questions. How do they define their personal and professional best? So we kind of get an idea of of what their professional and moral compass is. And then from there we we ask them to define where they feel their strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats are. And it's not your typical SWOT analysis, if you will, but it does give us sort of a roadmap of where they feel that they have some blind spots or blind spots that we can identify. So as we walk them through that process, we sit down uh, generally four times a year, but the first uh, meeting is, is the most important one, where we start to identify some outcomes and initiatives that put pen to paper on what we can solve for immediately. Uh, And then concurrently, we are building out a financial, very robust financial model for the client that looks at all areas of their organization from collections, production, revenue cycle, share optimization, how their doctors are performing, how hygiene is performing. And from there, we ultimately get to to a a baseline for us to work from. And then we start to look for areas of opportunity where they think what might have been a weakness is really an opportunity. What they think is a strength maybe is not a strength. And then from there together, we work collaboratively to start tackling some of the areas that look like they need some improvement and and how we can improve upon that.
0: Yeah, I—that's I, um, yours—is a very tactful way of putting it. I like to say that we crush a lot of people's hopes and dreams along the way, <laughs> and you know, it's—I think there's the vision-setting piece, and then there's the—the vision-validating piece, right? I mean, you—you you mentioned um, in one of your discussion points the that kind of clarifying the three to five-year vision, and. It doesn't matter if you have an exit strategy in mind um or if it's a a cash flow uh you know annual income uh dollar number in mind i i think what we try to do is understand what those outcomes are and then we try to to understand the expectations of how long the client wants that process to take before they get there, and then we connect the dots in a backwards manner to say, okay, here's where we are now, uh, and and you stipulated that this is where you want to be within X number of years, and and we we add uh, or we start to quantify the activities that are going to yield that outcome, and that's where you know you can kind of see somebody swallowing hard sometimes where they they say wow you know that was sort of a pie in the sky number i came up with Um, i think i can hit it but i had no idea it would require that many acquisitions or that much revenue growth or you know like really putting the numbers down to say okay if that's the outcome you want here's what you got to do to get it and is that realistic and it's one thing when you're just talking about it over you know a couple of beers on the 19th hole at the golf course but it's something else when you have to put your operator hat on and and really go about executing on it and i think that's sometimes just clarifying the vision and the activity accounting that has to happen to yield those outcomes is uh, is something that they you know our typical clients probably never been through before um, because they haven't they haven't really they thought about their business but they haven't really started to execute on a on a forward looking pro forma basis to understand what comes along with that and I think that's um, uh, it's always a, a fun exploratory process right.
1: It is, and and you know, I I had uh, I was going to mention, you know, you said crushing hopes and dreams. I said, you know, we show warts warts and everything. Um, you know, I recall one one particular strategic planning session we had with with a current client uh, who's just a wonderful uh, wonderful client to have because he's really entrusted us, and he's gotten himself comfortable being uncomfortable, um, and I'd like to attribute that that uh, saying to you parent but i remember after our first strategic planning session i said how do you think it went and his exact words were i have a stomach ache so <laughs> so i know i know that we um we hit on all the t- uh, on all the points but what it did was it really helped him recalibrate what he wanted to do and i would say that one of the things that you touched on very early on about um in the process of growing group practices what i find often is that each office is still running independently of the others they are just simply four five six seven individual practices that just happen to be owned by the same person or or group and and that right there is always going to be an impediment to scaling so at what part of the growth journey do we start to pivot where there's a little bit of scale in certain departments, there's uh, cost efficiencies because you uh, have more purchasing power. When do you start setting up legal constructs? What does your hiring and retention look like? Uh, What does your clinical development look like? And we'll touch on that at the very end. And more importantly, a saying that I use is if you can't measure it, you cannot manage it. So what KPIs do we have in place? Are we really tracking useful information? that we can uh deliver on and make changes to or are we just kind of throwing numbers into a spreadsheet not doing anything with it so through this journey we as an advisor to the owner really start to get them thinking as a ceo and not as a clinical doc that owns the practice
0: yep very 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 well said you know along the same lines um you know we're trying when we go through this clarification process with clients i think the effort um or the maybe the objective better way to put it is that we're we're trying to avoid setbacks and landmines you know i mean it's, I, I think probably more than half the time clients come to us after already having had a setback and that could be just about anything um, financial time based uh, you know leadership wise or partnerships or whatever it may be but it's it's always a greater challenge if we have to kind of do some cleanup initially and then move into more of a guidance uh, type of a um, arrangement if if somebody comes to us and we see that there's holes in their strategy or that they're they're about to create uh, you know, failure for themselves. Um, it, it's it, it's a it's really sometimes saving a client from themselves of making a, an overstep or a bad uh, decision that can can set them back uh, from a time and money standpoint. I go back to that thing about. Um, you know, for all of our, our listeners that they follow, like the National Football League, and you and I both do. But how many times do you hear people say, usually either current head coaches or former head coaches, more games are lost in the NFL than they are won, and just minimizing, you know, you talk about turnovers and uh, stupid penalties and mental mistakes and that kind of stuff. Like if you can just not lose the game, is antithetical as it may sound uh, you you have a greater chance of winning more of them and i think there is a little bit of that when somebody says okay i want to want to build a multi location group and they think it's just an extrapolation of one successful practice adding a second successful practice a third and a fourth and a fifth it's never that easy and you know there's the the leadership piece to it um that people don't understand what it what it means to become a c a ceo uh, and a visionary for a growing group but it's it's also okay what does a ceo or a visionary do i'm no longer practicing clinically i was really good at that you know i've generated a lot of collections for the business and a lot of income for me and my family but you know what what exactly do i do with my time you know, those are things and, and you're a former COO, so you're, you know, riding side saddle with a lot of these people in terms of giving them actual, you know, both strategic and to a degree tactical guidance on some of this stuff. And I think that's that's critically important as someone changes their role and grows into a new role in a business.
1: Yeah, I think that's I think that's well put. I think our the clients that we have, and I I actually like to refer to them as partners that we have had that have had success have really committed to the process. And and to piggyback on your NFL analogy, you hear coaches say that a lot. Trust the process. And it really is the blocking and tackling that is what is going to create a winning team. I see a lot of common denominators and practices that predictably can lead to outcomes that are not going to be as advantageous as they could be. And you know, a lot of it is it's the way we've always done it. We hear it all the time. um we we promote people from within, and then ultimately, They've got tribal knowledge within that particular group, but they don't bring in an, a level of outside expertise that can help grow and scale. So a lot of times it's kind of unwinding this structure that they've built or this process that they've built and and unbreaking fiefdoms within within organizations and really getting them to think outside the box. And as a resource, you know we come in in a very collaborative manner you know and and what i would tell all of our listeners both current past or potential future clients is that there is no silver bullet here there is a lot of doing small things correctly that will have an exponential impact on the back end so i think anyone that kind of throws their arms up and says i've got to call polaris they got to fix this right away I think I can confidently say, I don't know that there's a group on the planet that can just come in and, and wave a wand. But what we can do is show the areas that they're lacking in that they can fix and then walk them through that journey on how to fix it. And, and one of the things that I take a lot of pride in, I think Polaris takes a lot of pride in, is people that have turned strengths into weaknesses. And you you referenced Dr. Michael Carpenter um, and, on our personal journey's. A podcast where, you know, we took an area of what Michael would have admittedly was not a passion of his uh, into not only a great strength, but nearly um, uh, a, a great passion about his level of engagement now with uh, recruiting, training, and then uh, having docs in the chairs where they need to be with a certain skill set and there's certain things that he looks for. And that only came about by both trusting the process and committing to it. So it's not always just doctor development. It could be your leadership team. It could be uh, your processes. It could be the level of marketing that you're doing. You're not capturing enough new patients. Uh, Could be scheduling. It could be chair utilization. It's a number of things. So the financial model that I referenced earlier looks literally at everything from soup to nuts. We look at not only the P and Ls, but we normalize uh, doctor comp, uh, rent, rent, comp, uh, rent payments, anything outside the the normal confines of a four wall business to get a baseline of where we're at, and then from there, we look at all of the ADA codes to see what type of dentistry that, we're, that they're doing. We look at how much their hygienists are producing to their wages. We look at how much each chair produces for every hour uh, and ultimately get to a number that says, if we can optimize to this level of X, um, we can generate this much more in production and ultimately EBITDA. And we look at expense control at the same time. So there's a lot of factors in there that once they commit to the process, I think as they see small successes, they become even more committed. They become believers now. And what was once a little bit of hesitation or nervousness, sort of analysis paralysis becomes uh, now now you got to tug on the reins a little bit because they're almost wanting to go too fast. So yep. it, it's, uh, you know, like I said earlier, they're, they're all at different uh, parts of their journey. Uh, but there are a lot of common denominators that we use to help them get to exactly where they want to go. And often when they optimize that, parent, they find that they can achieve even greater what than what they originally thought they could do because of the way that they have scaled and optimized and gotten themselves out of the chair and being able to see the landscape a whole lot more clear.
0: Yeah, very, very well put. And I, I would circle back on on something um that i think uh, may maybe far too it's a it's i don't want to say it's an untapped opportunity but it's um, sometimes runs counter to what a client's expectations are in terms of of growth you know we we talk about strategic consulting we talk about growth strategy and everybody tends to come to us thinking like okay i'm i've got 5 locations right now I want to be at 15 locations, you know, in X number of years or something like that. And they're thinking about growth only as it relates to dots on a map. And you touched on the doctor development piece because usually there is some degree, if you can minimize turnover on the recruiting aspect, like you mentioned, and then you can get them more productive from a development standpoint, then you get a, it, it's an easier lift with less risk in terms of taking on more debt service to acquire additional locations. The same can be said for same store sales or, or same store growth. And this is one that i think far too many people uh are either not aware of or i don't know that it maybe it's just not the sexy way to growth you know maybe they feel like if if i'm gonna have uh, a bigger business that has to mean more uh more locations and i would rather create the same amount of revenue and more ebitda valuation and free cash flow in fewer locations than adding more headaches to the mix because you and i both know that if somebody build, it creates a successful practice it's usually based around their drive their ability to do clinical dentistry their ability to manage a staff their ability to bond with patients and high case acceptance ratio and you know they're they're kind of the straw that stirs the drink in that location it gets really, really a lot more challenging in the more locations you add because you can't be everywhere at once and there's less of that personality dynamic that you're able to bring to the mix in other four-wall buildings. So when you have a handful of locations that are, I don't want to say underperforming, but maybe they're they're not performing optimally to use one of your words, or they have untapped potential you mentioned share utilization uh, obviously if you're able to to bring in more associates that could be more days and hours i mean it could be more productivity in the hygiene department it, you know could be any number of things but that's kind of to a degree that's that's sort of free growth you mm-hmm. know it's or it's growth with less risk and i would i would prefer somebody you know dial in all of their locations before they start taking on more bank loans to, uh, to personally guarantee, you know, I mean, you want to, you want to touch on that just a little bit in terms of same store sales?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the way you articulated it is perfect. And in one, one area I find a lot is people want to grow by acquiring more. And then as we get under the hood, we realize they're not really five practices. Sometimes they're, they're three. And the reason for one is open three days a week, one's open two days a week. The team is going back and forth. When you look at a at any of these group practices, whether it be in dentistry, veterinary, podiatry, they're all mainly fixed cost, production-driven healthcare businesses. It takes a certain amount of dollars just to turn the lights on. So if if a majority of your overhead is already baked in the cake, the exponential growth of growing vertically um, has more falling to the bottom line. And what I mean specifically is that you've already paid for your office manager, you've already paid for your assistants, you've already paid for your front desk, you've paid the rent and utilities. If we were able to add another day or two in that same office or expanded hours, or even even better, having clinicians that can provide a, a wider uh, uh, scope of, of clinical, clinical dentistry, um, the the additional production generated, if you looked at the profitability of that incremental growth is far greater than trying to buy your way into profitability. And really all you're doing is just creating more inefficient offices that will ultimately drive down profitability even more. So I think for me, this has really become a key indicator in two areas and I'm so glad that you brought it up. Firstly, any organization, when we talk about same store growth, if if your office, take each office individually, you're showing year over year growth in production. We are well on our way to be able to optimize that. If we've been flat for years and all of your fixed expenses and your wages are going up, your margin is obviously being compressed each year and and something's gonna have to give. So as long as, as the growth remains consistent or exceeding what your goals are, We can continue to grow on that through optimizing scheduling, treatment planning, hygiene, and more importantly, the expansive dentistry of the clinicians, investing in their clinical education, uh, taking implant case courses. I've seen that happen in 30, 40% growth I've seen in some offices just because we never really realized how much business is flowing out of the office because we can't perform the services that stayed within. And then once you've kind of perfected that model is where you say, okay, now I've got this target acquisition profile. I can replicate this now. And that's when growth really starts to happen. And then from there, at what stage of the game do you start to centralize certain key areas? Do you need to bring in different leadership, perhaps a call center, uh, a revenue cycle team for greater efficiency? Make sure that your days of sales outstanding is is uh, much more condensed, your AR is down. and then from there you just continue a cycle of recruiting the best possible docs, training them as well as you can, having a, a robust recruitment onboarding and development, what we call rod uh, process so that culture is is uh, you know, through osmosis throughout all of the offices. it's not just at the at the mothership. and I think that's really where where growth and scale, um you know really create that one plus one equals three formulation
0: yep yep very very well said Aiden you and I are passionate about this um we could probably record a three-hour episode (laughs) on the podcast or a trilogy or something like that if we had to to condense it a little bit but I this is this is great information it's a really fun conversation and I think the I don't want to speak for you, but I'm 99% sure this is accurate when I say that we derive a lot of uh, personal fulfillment in seeing the success that our clients create. And that's a really, um, it, it's, a, it's a very rewarding relationship that we have with people because these engagements um, are, uh, they can be stressful, they can be um, challenging at times and um, they can be really rewarding for both parties. And I, I, I know mm-hmm. that you and I both enjoy that aspect of working with people too. I, I can't thank you enough for carving out a little bit of time today. The time went quickly, that's for sure, but um, really great discussion. And I, I look forward to having you back. And I think maybe uh, on an upcoming episode, we can talk about another facet of of the world that you live in, and that's what we call fractional COO. And I think that would be a, a fun conversation to kind of, Compare and contrast. Um, that's different from strategic consulting, but obviously, your world as an operator, um, getting your hands dirty, is is one that you um, are, are extremely good at. So, uh, look forward to having you back on the show in the not too distant future and diving into some of that for the audience too.
1: Yeah, thanks, Perrin, and I really enjoyed it. And, and also to our listener base, if anyone wanted to have just a, a cursory conversation, obviously, we're at you know PlayersHealthcarePartners dot com. Um, our team is all featured on there. If someone wants a cursory uh, call, I'd be happy just to uh, have that. Uh, but more importantly, uh, thanks for having me on and and absolutely gain uh, a lot of satisfaction from watching the success of 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 our partners really um, embrace what we do and and watching them in their uh, maturation processes is, is is very fulfilling and and humbling at the same time.
0: You bet going to be a great year for us and and to echo aiden's point we will uh, uh link to his um uh, email address and everything in the show notes you can obviously connect with him off of our website um on any of the uh comment fields and everything and he and i probably take a, a call or two from prospective clients almost every day so uh, i'd encourage you to reach out to either one of us if you got questions or anything else we can uh, help answer for you certainly appreciate all of you being listeners, appreciate you sharing the podcast with, um, with so many people. It's, it's uh, quite uh, humbling when I get a, somebody who reaches out and says, Hey, uh, so-and-so shared your podcast with me. I really do enjoy it. I'd love to schedule a call with you. So I appreciate so many of you being advocates for the way that we grow our business. And word of mouth is usually the best way to do that. Thanks so much for being a listener and a subscriber. We'll see you on the next episode.